I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of the Step Over Pod uh, on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am Jim Adair. With me, as always, is Max Rappaport. Max, how are you feeling today? Uh, doing all right, Jim. That's good. So in in, in past episodes, we have t- taken time. Episode, you know, 72, for example, was the Jason Capono episode. And episode 88 may still be the Alexi Shved episode. Uh, but since we're in the kind of no man's land of numbers right now, Jersey numbers, I figured we would take a little moment here. To go back since it's episode 75 to the game played closest to this date on 1975, which was the season opener, Sixers-Bulls. Sixers won, 110-103. Take a random guess, Max, as who the Sixers' leading scorer was that day. He played 41 minutes, went 11 for 15 from the floor and 4 for 5 from the line. Hmm. Um, Henry Bibby? No, it was Doug Collins. Doug Collins, wow. Doug Collins. Uh, scored Henry 26 Bibby points. Wasn't even on the team until next year. Yes, correct. Uh, scored 26 points. The Bulls were led by 26 from Norm Van Leer and 21 from Jerry Sloan. And they didn't keep track of steals or blocks or turnovers yet. So, 1975, everybody. Fun basketball. Uh, speaking of less fun basketball, Max, uh, we decided uh, after the last podcast that we would come back after a couple more games since there's only there had only been three games at that time. Uh, and even now, five games, still a super small sample size. Uh, but we thought we would probably be in a different situation now than, which is, we got to talk about two losses, man. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I, yeah. I really didn't. Yeah, it, uh, first loss was against the uh, Detroit Pistons when Blake Griffin seemed like a monster. Uh, put up, I think, uh, 79 points, something like that, uh, on 32 of 33 from three. Uh, that math works out. Uh, and then last night, they lost, I think it was 120 to 103 to uh, the Bucks, uh, which was uh, not a pretty loss. Um, I would love so far this year, we haven't had this yet. Can we just get like, I don't know, like a 12-point lead and like hold it for like a minute straight just to like breathe easy? That'd be nice. Um, but what were your kind of your overall impressions of those two games before we dive a little bit deeper and talk about some specific players? Yeah, I guess I, I felt worse about the Milwaukee game last night than I did the, the Detroit game. Um, you know, I, I felt like watching the Pistons game, I didn't even feel like the, I didn't feel like any one aspect of, of the game, whether it was like defense or just uh, like, like last night, the defense was objectively bad. And I think, um, you know, they just have been pretty one-dimensional offensively, I feel like. And, and just, it hasn't felt like it did the end of last season where they were really clicking in that way and, like, moving the ball around well and getting open looks. Um, I felt like in the Pistons game there was more of that. Like, it felt, just watching it, I felt better about it. But then Blake Griffin would literally make a shot every time, every single uh, possession for the Pistons down on the other end. And it actually felt like they were playing okay defense a lot of the time, like making him take tough shots or, like, shoot from mid-range and he just made everything mm-hmm. um so that that was less frustrating for me and also you know easily could have been a win the game last night just felt like i, I don't know it felt really disjointed um maybe because it was their first back-to-back of the year but uh, that yeah. doesn't really um justify a game like that like it just seemed like all around um they weren't on the same page the defense was awful uh, yeah. You had like Malcolm Brogdon like driving the lane and getting by people. It it just was uh, it's bad. It was just real yeah. bad. It was probably their worst game they've played this year. I thought the even the Boston game, um, the Celtics were just yeah. you know just better that night. I, last night I felt like the Sixers didn't play up to anywhere close to what where they should have been. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's 
I know they're the most extremely online team in the league, but there was no point for them to stay at 69 points for what felt like 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. There was a point there where they, they had 69 on the scoreboard and they just could not make a bucket for what felt like an actual eternity. Yeah, it was like, I uh, think like the 11-minute mark of the third till like the fifth, the five or four or five-minute mark of the third. They yeah, it was crazy. two points during that time, yeah. It, was, it took forever. Um, and it was just, you know, sloppy game all around. Uh, for, for a certain point of the game, it was sloppy by both teams. And then Milwaukee stopped playing sloppy and the Sixers didn't. Um, it was really hard to watch. Like, like I think you said you made a point where, yeah, the Detroit game, it's one of those things where, like, you know, Blake Griffin isn't the player he once was, but he's still pretty good. And when a player is doing that, there's only really <clears throat> most of the time there's only really so much you can do to get in their way. Uh, it's unfortunate, but shit happens. I mean, I'd rather, you know, it's 2018 now, so we're giving up 50 points to Blake Griffin instead of Bojan Bogdanovic. So. We've had we've we've made some growth in the last uh, last couple years, but um, yeah, sometimes there's games like that where they just happen, and you're like, you know, whatever, one thirty three to one thirty two in overtime. There were things that could have been done to win that game. Uh, Embiid, we got got the flop, got Drummond out of the game, uh, which may have actually kind of hurt them. <laughs> Maybe Drummond should have stayed in that game in because uh, he was doing really well against him. But, <clears throat> and then Embiid got caught for flopping, and they had Drummond's technical rescinded, which was going to happen at some point. He was going to get caught by the league doing something at some point. But, uh, yeah, just looking at last night's numbers, uh, the Sixers shot 41.3% from the floor, which is actually higher than Milwaukee. Uh, and they shot higher from three than Milwaukee as well. Uh, but they didn't win the game. That's what it comes down to, right? Um, they shot much worse in the free throw line. They shot 70% free throw line. Milwaukee shot 93.3%. Um, Ersan had a bit of a revenge game. He had three points. Took a charge. Actually, no, I don't think it was technically a charge. I think Dario just fouled him offensively, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't technically He's a charge. Into him. Yeah. 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 He, like, he showed him who the sensei was, right? That was what that moment was. But yeah, I mean, you had. My pet peeve so far there, you had him beat attempt seven threes. I wanted I wanted him to bring that down so bad, and he's not bringing it down. Fultz went one for one from three. Um, JJ Did still he, shot well from... No, go ahead. I was going to say, he's on pace to surpass what we what we expected for the year, by the way, Fultz. Like, we had set that, it was what, 45 over under for made threes? And 44 we and a half, like, so 45. 44 yeah. and a half, yeah. And we were pretty confident in the under. He's made three in in five games, and he's shooting fifty percent somehow. Um, he's only, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think uh, I think we we might be wrong about that actually. Yeah, like I, I think I've, I've kind of had forgotten like how how easy it is to make a three basically every other game. Yeah, um, I mean, like, but I mean, if he's only attempting one a game, it's not that easy though. Yeah, although he's taking, I, I, he's taking more than that. Um, Barely, I, he's taking more than I expect him to take. I guess I'll say. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll revisit those over-unders probably at the end of the month, end of every month of the season, but we'll kind of see what, where, what they're on pace for, where we're at. Um, our Joel Embiid points over is looking really good right now. <laughs> He's averaging, I think, like 29.9 right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, Redick, Redick went, Dario went two for six from three, Redick went three for eight, which are both good, but not world-beating. Uh, Shamit went one for two, you know. Uh, Simmons, two for six from the free-throw line, not good. Uh, Dario and Rocco both missed free throws, which they only attempted two. But, you know, it was it was not even like, you can't even look at this and say like, oh, well, if they made the free throws, they shot a little better from three, they would have won the game. Because it wasn't even like unforced errors that cost them that game. They just seemed not even, I don't know if outmatches necessarily the word, because I do think the Sixers are a better team than Milwaukee. They seemed out-energized, right? They seemed like they were, they were out-focused. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost seemed like a lot of the times, and it's not even like, oh, they made a couple stupid turnovers. Just it seemed like a couple of times, maybe, again, it's the first back-to-back of the year. Maybe they're both on the road, that kind of deal. But they seemed unfocused. Like, their heads weren't in the right space. Like, they were kind of going through the motions a little bit, um, kind of taking these mental lapses. And um, there were spacing issues that you can notice, even with the naked eye, if, you don't, if you're not looking for it. Um, with Fultz and Simmons both on the floor at the same time, where it seemed like people were just standing next to each other on the offensive side. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
it's not the turnovers were a problem again. Got out rebounded, outscored. Obviously, they up forty nine in the second quarter, which is insane. But I said to a friend last night when I was watching the game, um, which by the way, I just I want to make note that I haven't gotten to listen to Mark and Allah yet because I've watched the national game, the opener with sound on, and then every other game I've been out watching it somewhere. So I miss my I miss my my cool dads, but um. I, I think maybe if they're going to let up 49 points in the second, it's better than letting up 49 points in the third. If you could shift the bad quarter up one, that's generally good for the that's, team. That's a real silver lining. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to let them blow up in one quarter, make it in the first half. Although, ideally, you wouldn't have one of those, right? You, won't want, you don't want to have them score 49 in the second, and then you come out and score 17 in the third. Because then you're just screwing yourself over. You're just, there's like a... At that point, even though you're up by 12 in the first, you're... The, the momentum of that game has changed and you're you're playing catch up ball the entire second half and without seemingly the the wherewithal and energy to come back with it i mean i kept saying last night they were down 10 with like 6 minutes left which is far from insurmountable right but then it seemed like they were playing in a way that they were it seemed like from that point forward they were almost playing like they were down 10 with 1 minute to go right like, I know it's pace, it's all pace and space, and it's all transitions like that, but, like, I think they probably could have used to slow it down a little bit. There was a little bit too much just, like, full-on sprinting going on that wasn't helping them, and it was giving Milwaukee the ball right back on missed shots or turnovers, and then they were slowing the game down. You know, that was a problem for me, and that's a coaching deal, coaching situation, um, which I was not happy with. That, that end of that game, the last full quarter of that game, I was not psyched with Brett Brown. Um, and we could talk a little bit about the Brett Brown rotational stuff in the fourth quarter and overtime of the game before that, when we get to start talking about Fultz a little bit more, but yeah, it was, it was not a great showing two and three on the year so far. They were one and four at this point last year, but they're a better team this year and they should be playing better. I I agree. I I feel like um, for the first time, and maybe this happened a little bit last year too. And, and also, as I say that maybe this is more a function of actually caring about wins and losses, but I feel like for most of, Brett Brown's tenure, um, I felt like I have had very few complaints about actual rotation stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like there are definitely times where bad adjustments or you know end of game they just call they drop a play that doesn't make any sense or take too much time and, and don't get a good luck that kind of stuff. But I, to this point, I haven't really and maybe a little bit last year I haven't really had as much of an issue with with rotation. And I feel like this year. Um, I, I kind of do. It's just I, I don't really understand what they're doing with, like, w- with Fultz in that game uh, against the Pistons. And like, I understand that you felt like defensively you were losing something versus TJ, but it's like to play TJ McConnell like 16 straight minutes to, mm-hmm. to end the game and continue to play him in overtime yeah. um, when Fultz was having his also, you know, beyond just uh, I think Fultz would have given them something that they kind of needed down the stretch and like. Uh, at least fresh legs. Uh, and t- it wasn't like TJ was having a great game. He was just playing his, his normal self and, and playing yeah. decent defense. But, like, you know, my, my kind of thought was, um, you know, you're trying to build up Fultz's confidence. And they made all these sacrifices to do that. You know, they're starting him over Redick. Uh, they're playing him probably more minutes uh, if you were being – if you're really trying to win like a seven game series, you'd probably be playing Fultz a little bit less than you're playing him right now. Yeah. Um, so they're doing all these things right now that are not geared towards uh, what's best for winning games, but is also you know focused a little bit towards that, but also towards building up Fultz's confidence and getting him ready. And then he comes out and he has a game where he, um, you know, he scores 13 points on six of nine, basically in the first three quarters, and then doesn't play at all the rest of the game. And yeah. plays 21 minutes. And then mm-hmm. last night, uh, he was basically invisible. He hit the 1-3, ended up with 5 points and 4 assists, uh, and played 27 minutes. And and yep. a little bit of that was in garbage time, but like he played like 25 minutes or 26 minutes until, until they brought him back in garbage time. I just, I don't know. And I felt like that throughout the year that... Um, I don't know. Even, even like Landry Shamit. Like, I love that Shamit's getting minutes. I think he's going to be good uh it feels like he's playing more than he should be right now um given that he's not really giving them that much except spacing um right i don't know it just it just feels um 
I don't know. It's, I, it feels like for the first time I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where some of these decisions are coming from. And it feels yeah. a little, and it, not at all this bad, but it reminds me of how I felt about like Doug Collins. Um, that's the last time I felt this way was when Doug Collins was coaching the team and you just like inexplic- inexplicably, you know, Murray Spates just like wouldn't play for six games, but then he'd play 32 minutes all of a sudden off the bench. And mm-hmm. even in a game, he's not playing very well. It just like didn't really match up with what was happening. It, it felt like, yeah. and that that's been the biggest complaint is it's not like, Oh, Markel Fultz is hot. Let's, let's keep him out there. Or T. Jim Connell's hot right. or Landry Shamit's hit like hitting shots. Let's keep him out there. It just seems almost like the number of minutes is like predetermined before the game. And then they don't deviate from that. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like Brett Brown must have done something in a past life where he's cursed with this uh, Sisyphean task of eternally figuring it out, right? Mm-hmm. So he comes in, this team's completely tanking, and he's just figuring it out. He's trying to put lineups on the floor, maybe find a diamond in the rough, develop players, this and that, right? And then you have, you know, MCW and their own as well, right? They're playing, and you're like, all right, well, what do we have in these guys? Let's figure that out. Let's put them out there in, in these situations. Then you have Okafor, and it's like, can Noel and Okafor work together? There's, there was always this eternal, like, trying stuff, figuring things out. And then Joel Embiid comes back. You got to see what you have in him. He gets hurt. And then Ben Simmons, and now he's trying to figure out, like, what is Markel Fultz? And, I like, it, to a certain extent, it's like, <clears throat> I understand the need for, um, you know, improvisation or experimentation because... You, you don't know what you have in him. But the best way to know what you have in him is to put him in there and figure it out. And, you know, I feel bad for Brett in a way because I'm like, I wish he just had a fucking consistent roster of, like, surefire NBA players where you – or at least you're like, all right, I know what this guy is. And the roster is a lot of those people, but Fultz is still that huge question mark. And I think with the Detroit game, I mean, from my perspective, if they had won that game, right – I would rather have the conversation, like if they, if, all right, so they want, say they won that game by not putting Fultz in at the end of the game, right? And say they put him in the game and they lost. I would rather have the conversation of like, why did he leave Fultz there in the end in a loss? He looked outmatched rather than why didn't they put Fultz in at the end of the game? You know, I'd rather have the conversation of like, he was out there. Maybe he made a mistake that like caused the loss. What do we do about this? Rather than like, huh, why wasn't he even on the floor? Because then you can talk about stuff. You can talk about like, all right, well, we saw him do this. We saw him kind of hit a wall, whatever. But when he's sitting on that bench for the entirety of overtime in the last four minutes of the fourth quarter, you got to ask yourself why. Because there's all this talk about his confidence and how this and that. But he can be as confident in himself as he wants to be. But you have to be confident in him to put him out there, right? And if you want to win games, you want to win games. And you do what you do to win the game. But fourth game of the year... You have this whole lingering question mark over Markel Fultz. He's having the best game of his career so far. I think, you know, again, I'm not an NBA coach. I'd be a terrible NBA coach. But I think you put him out there and you say, listen, if we lose, we lose. But we're going to put him out there in crunch time at the end of the game and see what happens because of it. So that, I had a problem with that. And I went back and forth on it because it is so early in the season. There's still so much more to figure out. But I just, the more I think about it, I'm like, you had to put him on the floor. You have to. And I'm not going to like panic or freak out about it because it is so early and there's still so much time. And he is essentially, you know, he is a special case. You know, we can't spend a full year talking about him like he's some kind of special, unique case and then act like he's not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like there comes a point where you have to treat him like any other NBA player. I don't know if that's game four, but it has to happen. Um, so if this happens again, if something like this happens again in game 30, that's a lot bigger issue than it was in game four. But still, I think you should have put him out there. Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. I don't think it's like the biggest. Yeah, I don't think it's like um, indicative of a much larger problem or um, says something about faults or whatever. I just feel like it's it's counterintuitive. You know, you're trying to build up his confidence, and um, he actually seemed really confident and uh, more like himself in that game. And then, like, I don't know what's going on for him when when he's sitting on the bench for you know. 17 straight minutes of game action but i'd have to think yep. that that's you know for a 20 year old uh really frustrating and probably hurts his confidence that the coach doesn't trust you to put you back out there even when you're playing at your best in a close yep. game i just also I, I don't i don't even think it was like the the strategic move at that moment like i think they could have really used him um and really used his uh 
like playmaking ability. And, and I also, I don't think TJ McConnell was having a, an especially good game. Like he got burned by Ish Smith a handful of times. Um, yeah. I, I just didn't really get it. Like, there are some games where TJ McConnell just comes out and he looks awesome and you want to stick with him. I didn't feel like that was what happened in this last game or what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, neither of them, I mean, again, super, super small early sample size, but neither of their, you know, net ratings are great. All the on off numbers. Um, like when, when Fultz is on the floor, the net rating is a negative nine. When McConnell's on the floor, it's a negative 8.3. You know, it's, it's, they're negligible. And like, you know what you get out of TJ. And if you really, really thought he could win you that game, then sure. But, you know, looking at the way he was playing and playing him that many minutes in a row, it was, it kind of was jumping off, off the screen that like, he's not helping you in this game. Um, and you don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, there's a lot going on there, especially with the full situation. Um, but I just, you know, I would have done it differently. But again, I am not an NBA coach. I will, um, I will quick. say, um, something I've been thinking about these last couple games, especially, is just how much they're missing Wilson Chandler. Like, I think somebody yeah. asked this after the injury, after the hamstring injury, asked this, like, could this be like a five game swing for the six? I think that was the number they gave. And I remember I was having the reaction yeah. of like, no, it's not, come on, it's not going to like be that big a factor. Like, maybe they lose one extra game before he comes back. Like, I don't know. I kind of, agree. I kind of feel like if they had him, at least in that Pistons game, um, and probably last night, it bits a lot closer. Like, if you just replaced Landry Shamus playing 19 minutes a game, shooting 29% from the floor, um, averaging four points, and and not playing especially good defense. Like, I think if you just replaced yeah. all 19 of those minutes, and probably more, you'd probably cut back on, you know, Mascala or something. Uh, if you could have just replaced that with, like, 20 minutes of Wilson Chandler, I actually think, you know, that Pistons game, certainly, and I think even last night, you'd be in that game, like, they just don't yeah. have anyone, and as, especially with uh, Blake Griffin, you probably would have had Wilson Chandler defending him instead of Dario. Like or, I mean, you would have had Ben Simmons defending him. Or, well, that, exactly. When you, have ben, yeah. when you have Ben Simmons off the floor, um, I mean, Covington can sort of do that, but I think Covington's better guarding one through three than he is guarding fours, and they don't really yeah. have anyone other than Simmons right now, and maybe Embiid, depending on if it's like, if Al Horford's the four, maybe Embiid, but... Uh, you know, I don't think Amir Johnson's not the guy you want um, guarding a face-up four, and right. Wilson Chandler can do that. I think they're, I think they're yeah, really and, missing him a lot. Yeah, and we're recording this right now. It's Thursday afternoon. Uh, word was that he would be reevaluated before Saturday's game, which is quicker than we both thought, and that makes me think. Um, I don't know. It could be one of those like we looked at him. Maybe like we'll revisit again in three weeks. But the fact that they said like before Saturday's game makes you think like, oh, maybe he's quicker. You know, maybe he won't play on Saturday, but he'll play the game after that, which I think is maybe Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe he can be that quicker than than and we'll actually see what the actual impact would be. Um, well, I have this up in front of me to uh, another again super small sample size, but since I did it last time, I'll do it again. Um, the Covington and Bede Sharich Simmons Fultz lineup uh, in twenty five minutes. I don't think this updated from last night's game yet, actually, so that might be useless. Um, net rating of negative 34. And the Covington and Bede, Sharich, Shimmons, Reddick lineup in 24 minutes, uh, net rating of 6.9. Mm. So, yeah. It's coming, I mean, when we checked last time through two games uh, or three games, it was like negative 65 and positive 20-something. So they're both kind of normaling out a little bit, as will happen as you get more more minutes on the floor, but... Yeah, just kind of keep an eye on that throughout the uh, throughout the season as we go. The step over. We'll be right back after this brief message. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from the Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phillies podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed so do you want to talk a little bit about in all of this Joel Embiid yeah because I am like we talked this last time and we're going to keep talking about it because he just I mean he starts he has he's his fourth straight 30 point game when he did a three straight he was the first player to do it since um Allen Iverson and I think I don't remember what year they said it was 
maybe like 2003. I can't remember, but around there, early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. Uh, and it's like almost, again, maybe it's because I'm not watching with the sound. I feel like there is an impact when you're not watching with the announcers on, no matter how intently you watch the game. Um, all the stats seem a little quieter, right? Like obviously Blake Griffin's 50, whatever was very loud. Um, but it seems like in a weird way, it's almost like a quiet 30, right? He's doing a lot at the line. Um, when he talked about getting fouled and going to the line a lot, like he wanted to get on every shot attempt this year, he either wanted it to go in and go or go to the line. Um, and he mentioned playing down low more. I think the people were like, oh, Joel Embiid's going to really try to play a lot more bully ball this year, which, you know, to the eye test hasn't necessarily been the case, but he is still drawing those same fouls on like that, like whatever, 14-foot wing jumper where he gets a swim-through move. Um and I mean he's he had 19 rebounds last night, which I think would have probably been his first career 30-20 game. Um, not that off the top of my head, but uh, he's just been playing absolutely out of his mind, and it is like so far the one saving grace of the season, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just looked it up. Um, I mean, this is obviously super small sample size because we're five games into the season, but uh, no. Uh, According to Basketball Reference, just using their search, so right now Embiid's averaging uh, 29.6 points, 12.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists. Um, nobody's done that up until this season. Uh, Anthony Davis is also doing it this year, but the two of them would be the first if they were to continue this. Now, I don't think the 4.2 assists is probably what will drop off. Uh, I think the points will probably end up closer to 26, 27 if he has the kind of year he's having now. Like 29.6 mm-hmm. feels high. Um, but... Man, he's just been like outrageous. I, I can't believe. Yeah. Um, and and the, I guess it's like everything. I mean, like the turnovers are down. He's he's averaging two turnovers a game. Um, he's uh, shooting efficiently. I mean, the threes are still, you know, what they are. He's shooting twenty six percent from three on four and a half a game. Um, but despite that, is shooting almost forty nine percent from the floor. If you could just bring those threes down, that would be awesome. He's taking 10, mm-hmm. 10 free throws a game, making 80%. Um, he's just looked great. And he's yeah. playing 36 minutes a game, which is like maybe the, the most important thing is that he's like yeah. finally at a point where you don't worry at all. He just is, is treated like a normal player. And I think, I think that yeah. you, this is why you're kind of at the point where um, he's going to be, assuming the Sixers turn this around and, and uh, end up with a positive record uh he's going to be considered for mvp if he continues playing anywhere close to this level throughout the year yeah just to just for reference he did he's only had one 20 rebound game in his whole career he had 19 last night he's never had a 30 20 game uh the closest he came was in march march 19th against the hornets he he had 25 points 20 rebounds uh in a 14 point win but he had two assists and nine turnovers and that's something that we've seen so far this year. The turnover, so it looks like he's getting that a little bit under control. Which I think for the both of us, we were asked, um, I think a couple of times, um, what do we think, like, if you can, if you could choose one thing for every player to improve, and I think we kind of did a little bit of both for MB when we said conditioning um, and turnovers. And, I mean, again, there's only been five games this year, but his turnover numbers... Um, for the games in order have been five two zero one two. Yeah, that, so. that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah, these last few games yep. he's been just awesome in terms of he's not turning the ball over. He's um, passing out of double teams well. It's like really the only weakness it feels like he has right now is three point shooting and the fact that he does it way too much. Yep. Um. So. Uh, do you want to? Just, I know we have some good questions today that might take a little bit of uh, more time to answer. You want to just hop into the questions? Yeah, sure. Also, All also, right. I just um, I just wanted to say, and this this probably has to do. I'm looking at the leaderboard right now. Probably has to do with the fact that the Sixers have played five games, although uh, a handful of teams have done that. But Joel Embiid's leading the league in minutes played, uh, and mm-hmm. also in free throws taken and made. Right now, yeah. Well, minutes there minutes you go. played is pretty awesome. Does he want to be leading the Yeah, very much. All right, let me pull out these questions, and then we got a couple of good ones. Let me just organize them here. Um, first, uh, just starting from the very top, uh, the Kevin Rice, who's Kevin Rice, who I'm not sure if he's still running for Liberty Ballers. I brought him on board as the Euro correspondent, but he's currently in Rome. 
asked, what should I eat for dinner tonight? I'll hold off and eat until I hear your response. Dude, you're in Rome, man. Eat anything. Yeah. That's... Why are you asking us? I'm in South Philly. Go out and eat some, anything in Rome. Pizza? Is that Jeez, what man. they eat in Rome? <laughs> You've been, have you been to Rome? No, I haven't been to Rome. Yeah, I, no, Florence, I haven't either. But... If I go to Rome, I'm not going to ask some dumbass Philadelphians <laughs> what to eat for dinner. Um, uh, Booby Styles, Bobby, asked, uh, is there any on-court gear, shooting sleeves, headbands, etc., that can salvage Markel's look if he keeps wearing that nerd-ass compression undershirt? <laughs> Um, uh, hmm. even the compression undershirt even makes Anthony Davis look like a dork and Anthony Davis is like a ridiculous basketball god so uh, I don't know man I mean I think let me ask you this Max what if he went one, one sleeve like one short sleeve on one side and no sleeve on the other is that better or worse if he, if he did what <laughs> like so he wears it's like a short sleeve like he's wearing now but on, it only had like one sleeve <laughs> Oh, yeah, like uh, when someone has a shoulder injury and they just have, like... Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. that more. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's definitely better. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, a sh- I think a shooting sleeve always makes someone look cool. But you can't wear a shooting sleeve while also wearing a short sleeve t-shirt. So I guess if the question is, can any can you add any accessory to salvage the look? I think the answer is no. I right? I, I really liked recently... Uh, Drew Holiday wore this, uh, I think it was in the preseason, wore a headband, but it was like almost like a, um, I don't know how to describe it. It was like this piece of fabric that was really wide. It was almost like a hair, like when, when big men with long hair, like when like Spencer Hawes would like put his hair back yeah. and have like that, that like almost like netty kind of like, it's almost like a net and it like ties in the back. I'm pretty sure. It yeah. Was- it's almost like a, um, a, like almost like a stretchy bandana. Exactly. I think Drew Holiday yeah. wore one of those recently, and it was awesome. If Barco Folds could rock that uh, with his new haircut, I think that would maybe maybe just draw attention away from the compression shirt. Yeah, I think maybe a head a head thing. Maybe that headband they used to have where it would like kind of had like a uh, a strip that went from the front of your head to the back of your head over the top. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were hideous. Maybe that. Or, but or, uh, yeah, and definitely definitely no arm accessories can salvage that. Well, look, maybe I don't he think. could just get like a nude colored. Uh, undershirt so you wouldn't notice it as much get one of those like um get those like sleeves that they sell at like target or like halloween adventure where it has like fake uh sleeve tattoos on them for like part of your like heavy metal guy halloween costume Mm -hmm. wear those yeah um let's take some more not necessarily serious ones before we get to the serious ones uh is a thumb a finger says at snowballs and batteries yes Absolutely. Yes, it's a finger. Well, you, yes, it's you, absolutely. If I finger. ask you how many fingers do you have, unless you're being a unless you're like doing the dad thing, uh, right. you're gonna say five. And if you say four, you're an asshole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, thumb is a finger. Uh, best cold ones to drink while watching a blowout game? Asked CJ. I think the higher alcohol content, the better. What was the question? Best alcoholic drink or just best, best cold ones to drink while watching a blowout game? Yeah, probably like a nice like yeah. tr- Belgian triple or something. something yeah, like, really, like eleven really and a half for- percent. Yeah, really forget the fourth quarter. Um, all right, so let's go to a little bit uh, more serious ones. Uh, from Kinetic Skate Shop asked, uh, "Is Fultz's bad defense normal young player bad or long term worry bad?" What is this? A crossover episode? Kinetic skateboarding is asking us questions. I don't know, man. They won't get in trouble for that. Uh, no, but so all right. So I think right now it's normal young player bad. Um, again, I think I've been saying this to a couple of people. Um, I know there's all the extra weight on Fultz because you traded up for him as number one overall pick. But I think a lot of people in the fan base were spoiled with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid because they just came out and were just astounding as soon as they hit the floor when they hit the floor um, defensively as well. <clears throat> I mean, there were people had those questions about Ben Simmons's motor and like. Not necessarily ability to play defense, but drive to play defense in college, and that like immediately went away. Um, and Fultz definitely has the physical profile to be a solid defender, has the basketball IQ to be a solid defender, but right now it's just not showing up. So I'm not ready to say it's a long-term team I think it's just normal, you know, getting used to the speed of the game, really having confidence in yourself and confidence in your teammates too. If you bite, that they'll back you up. Um, 
So I, I think it's just normal young player rookie stuff. Um, now, again, if it's still like this in a month, it might become more of a long-term worry. But I think right now it's just like growing pains into the NBA. I, I totally agree with that. I, I will say that it's a little frustrating just like his body language right now is so bad um, mm-hmm. that it, it's – I agree that it's it's just like normal rookie stuff. But it just seems like sometimes so much lacking confidence or like, you know, makes one defensive error and then it's just like kind of head down for 10 seconds straight and jogging back to the other end of the floor. Like that's the stuff that maybe concerns me a little bit more that it's, it feels like uh, – He's not as like like Landry Shamit has uh, is just like normal bad rookie stuff right now. Like he's just not right. hitting shots. He's getting to good spots, but he's just not confident in the shot, or he's just um, I don't know what it is. Just not used to the speed of the game, what, uh, clo- how quickly guys close out. Uh, but he's like consistently taking the same shots throughout the game. It doesn't feel like it's affected by his performance. Uh, that that's like the one thing I'll say about Fultz that's been a little uh, disappointing to watch is that he hasn't been. Um, I don't know. He hasn't just like kept to his game the whole the whole time. It's like if he starts out slow, it's it's hard for him to bounce back from that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Kevin Taddy, <clears throat> who I believe I've pronounced his last name multiple different ways on this podcast before. Um. Asked, is Ben the same exact player as last season? When can we expect him to make quote unquote the jump, uh, and add a jump shot to his game to take it to the next level, if ever ever. Um, I think I'll hop in here first because I think um, eventually you would like to have him add that jump shot and just not even, you know, just have him take it, have have him be a threat to shoot it at the very least. Um, But I don't think you necessarily, I don't think that's the only way to take his game to the next level. Um, I think literally just improving on the things he already does well might actually have more of an impact. Like if he stayed the same player he is right now and added like a, a pretty like meh jump shot to it, or he didn't have a jump shot at all and just increased his skill at everything he does right now, I think that's more impactful to him and to his ceiling as a player as well. Uh, again, it's his second year. There's plenty of time for him to work on that jump shot. Like he said, I know, I think I've, I've, I don't know if I've talked about this on pod, but I've talked about this before, where when someone is that physically gifted and physically skilled and the size of them growing up, a lot of times they don't even bother teaching you how to shoot because you don't have to to play well, right? So I think that could have been the case, and I think he mentioned that in the offseason, like, no one really focused on his shooting with him and taught him, like, you know, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you need to really, like, have your form and stuff like that. It was never a focus with the people around him and stuff like that. So I don't think he'll ever not add it. But for me, it's more important to see this year him improving on the things he did last year that already existed, improving on his defense, improving on his driving and decision-making, improving on his finishing at the rim, improving on his free-throw shot, most importantly. Um I would take all of that before I take like a mediocre to sub mediocre jumper from him. I totally agree. the The biggest thing is free throw shooting. Like, I I guess you yes. could compare, and I, we made this comparison when they first drafted Simmons um, to Giannis. We watched last night, and there's obviously there are some differences um, just in terms of like style of play and everything. But in the same way that Giannis is super effective despite not being a good jump shooter, I think Ben Simmons can do that. Like Giannis obviously has more of a jump shot than, than Simmons. Like he'll he'll take an open three, whereas Simmons has yet to take a three yet uh, this season right. or really last year, other than Heaves. But like, I, I think that you, I can see a world where Ben Simmons is one of the best players in the league, uh, still not shooting jumpers. It's harder for me to see that with him shooting like forty eight percent from the line. Uh, so I, I just think if you can improve that to like seventy percent, even. Um, Mm-hmm. 65 70 and and nothing else i think he would be a vastly superior player i think obviously finishing um i think everything else uh, like you said obviously if he can get better at some of those other things that'd be great that he's already good at but um i would much rather take like finishing and free throw shooting than than the jumper and i just don't anticipate him ever being someone who takes i i anticipate like at best he becomes what Giannis is which is He'll take it if he needs to, but that's not at all what he's trying to do, and he's so effective at everything else he doesn't have to. Exactly. Um, I think we've said before, I, I know we did numbers on it at the end of last year or the beginning of this offseason about if Simmons just adds, you know, I mean, quote-unquote just adds, but if he just shoots his free throws at like a 15% better rate, he's adding like three points per game to his average or something like that, um, and that's huge. 
Uh, so I think, yeah, it, it's I, for me, I'd focus more on the free throw shooting because also with free throw shooting comes form, et cetera, et cetera, and it ties together. So, yeah. Um, Bob Blah Blah PhD at L underscore Munnelly um, asked this question, which I know your answer and I know my answer because I think we have discussed this before. As a Dario stan, it pains me to ask, but should we consider bringing him off the bench and starting JJ? Your answer is yes. You think they should be doing that already anyway, don't I you? I do, yeah. I think you make the swap to put JJ in the starting lineup and and put Fultz on the bench. I think that's what you do. I, I agree with either of those, because, yeah. Yeah, because we saw what that starting five did last year, right? We saw in the game without Ben Simmons how much of a different player Markel Fultz currently seems to be when he has the ball in his hand versus playing off ball, right? So if you have him at, coming off the bench, like, yeah, his minutes with Simmons might cross over a little bit more, but they're not starting the game together. And I think Fultz has that potential to be kind of like a, 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 a game general and go-to scorer off the bench where Dario isn't that, right? Dario can't really create his own shot. I think Dario, in all of last year, he made like, you know, 100 and however many threes. I think zero were unassisted, right? They're all catch and shoot. And I don't think that can be your offensive force off the bench. So that's, for me, that's why, because I love Dario too. I just don't think he's, like, he's a sixth man type, as in he's the guy who comes in for somebody coming out of the starting five and joins those guys to, like, play well. But I don't think he's a sixth man type, as in, like, he's your number one option in your second unit. I just don't think his style of play is is helpful in when you're playing, when you're looking at the rest of this bench too, and you're like, all right, well, you have those five guys on the floor. Like, is he your go-to guy? Like, can you... Can you hold a leave a lead or like stave off the other team pulling away with him as your number one scoring option? And I don't think you really can. I agree with that. I'd almost say that uh, I'd I'd rather when Wilson Chandler gets back. There's almost part of me that thinks if you could start Wilson Chandler in place of uh, Dario and JJ in mm. place of Fultz, and just put three shooters flanking Simmons and Embiid, that would almost be the better scenario. And then you have you have Saric and, and Fultz come on with some of the starters, but you just work that out so yeah. that um, there's not as much of an... Like right now, the expectation for JJ is he's coming in and he's... Which he's doing and just putting up putting up shots. Um, yeah. And it's worked. But I, I guess I feel like I'd rather have that shooting in the starting lineup um, with Simmons and Embiid and... Like I do, I do want Dario to have a little bit more of a role uh, handling the ball because he doesn't. They don't really ask him to do that at all. But mm-hmm. uh, you're right that I don't. I don't see him as the one guy who comes off and does that at all. Uh, I think Fultz is much more in that in that mold. But um, and I, I think Wilson Chandler similarly is more of a Covington type player where he's more three and D, more of a, a role player than a guy who's going to come in and, and you know make some sort of have some sort of spark. Right. And, you know, as we've said before, too, Dario always starts slow. Uh, he made a three to open the game last night, which looked good, but, you know, still had a, you know, not a, an amazing night. So he starts slow. He'll get his feet under him a little bit. I have confidence in that. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, I stand by that. The Step Over Pod will return with answers to more of your questions after this brief break. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly the Deputy Managing Editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL Editorial Manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, Lead Flyers Writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers. Before we get to one that we had already talked about before we got on air, because we wanted to talk about it for a minute, um, my friend Dan asked, can I stop by your place and borrow a step over to you on the way to the game on Saturday? And I just wanted to bring that up because Max and I talk about this all the time. Most people listening to this probably know we also make and sell t-shirts, but we never mention it <laughs> like idiots. So yeah, go to stepoverstore.com, buy some t-shirts. There's some good shirts. I actually really like you made you, Max made the Landry Shamet Chimay beer one, which I like a lot. That was one of my better ones, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I said I said I tweeted out before I said I don't want to like promote that you can buy stickers because we get like three cents per sticker sold. But man, they look they would look good on the they sticker. They do look really good. There are like a handful of designs. The the Dario Darius uh the Daria Sharich shirt uh design yeah. I think looks really good as a sticker also. Yeah, anything that's like a a, a very like consistent solid shape, I think really. Your JoJo NASA um, one too that you just did. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right, yeah, go buy some stuff. Uh, okay, so this is the one we wanted. I wanted to mention because I think it's a, actually a really great question. Um, it was asked by uh, at Vince Williams twenty eight. Um, what would Fultz average, assuming his current health slash shot state, on the ten and seventy two team? So the points, steals, assists, rebounds per game, etc. Uh, the ten and seventy two team, as uh, we all sadly remember, was the 2015-2016 team. So. Just to put this in some kind of context, uh, there were five players that averaged double-digit points a game on that team. They were Okafor, Ish Smith, Robert Covington, Nerlens Noel, and Isaiah Cannon. Cannon only played 39 games. Ish only played 50. Oh, no, sorry, that game started. Uh, Ish did play 50 games. Uh, Cannon played 77. Uh, the leading, the leaders in assists on that team, Ish had seven in 50 games, and next was TJ McConnell with four and a half. And next after that, uh, after only playing 14 games, is Phil Pressy with 3.3. <laughs> and then it was Tony Roten who played eight games, and then Kendall Marshall who played 30. Wow, that, Jesus. This, this is crazy it, looking, at, looking at this team. You know what's funny is, is uh, the best player, maybe the best player in the league right now on that team, other than Nick Stauskas, uh, is like Christian Wood, who is at the very bottom, played 17 games, uh, eight and a half minutes. Yeah. He's like, at least a top two or three player from that team, uh, and played. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, minutes. so yeah, re- total rebounds eight point one was the team leader, which was Nerlens, then seven for Okafor, and six point three for Covington. Um, and then let's see, steals were one point eight for Nerlens, one point six for Covington, one point three for Ish, blocks one point six for Jeremy. Just as a quick refresher, if case you forgot, um. That team included Christian Wood, Jill Okafor, Nerlens Noel, Jeremy, Tony Roten, Stauskas, Jakar, Rashawn, TJ McConnell, Hollis Thompson, Phil Pressey, Kendall Marshall, Isaiah Cannon, Rocco, Ish Smith, Carl Landry, GM Elton Brand, and Sonny Weems. Man, I forgot about Sonny. TJ McConnell played 81 games, 19.8 minutes a game, averaged 6.1 points. So, if you put current status Markel Fultz on this team, first of all, he likely starts at point guard. I don't think that's a question. So what does he put up? Um, I'm saying he's got to be putting up more points than Isaiah Cannon. I think he leads the team in scoring. On a really, you I, do. I, I think he does it in an MCW kind of way. I think he averages like 19 I think points he's, a game, but it's bad. It's like really inefficient. He turns the ball over a ton. They're just putting the ball in his I hand. think he's probably, he's probably under Okafor on that team. Um... So I would say, like, all right, so Okafor led the team with 17.5. I'd say he's, like, 16.2 points a game. Hmm. What would you, you, would, would you say, like, 18 I'm going something? over. I'm, I'll say, like, around 19. But okay. I think he shoots, uh, like, around 40% from the floor if he does that. Okay. Uh, yeah, the field goal percentage leaders, uh, it was Carl Landry, and then Nerlens, and then Rashawn, and then Jaleel Okafor. Three-point percentage leaders, by the way, uh, Nerlens made one of two threes that year. <laughs> uh, Hollis Thompson shot 38% on 5.1 attempts a game. So, um, assists. Ish Smith had seven a game. TJ McConnell had four and a half. I think, I mean, it's hard because you want to say he had more than Ish, but, like, who's making the damn shots? I'm saying he's, like, 7.2 or 3. Because you can do all you want, and the dude still ain't making those shots. So I'm saying he leads the team in assists, but just barely. Yeah, I, I I'd probably say the same. It's right around Ish Smith yeah. at best. Yeah, uh, rebounds. Uh, the top on the team, I said, when Nerlens 8.1, then Ja had seven, Covington had 6.3, Jeremy had 4.7, Ish had 4.3. So I think he has more than Ish and probably less than Jeremy. So I'd say four and a half. That was exactly what I was going to say. Four and a half feels right to me. Yeah, steals. Uh, 1.8 for Nerlens, 1.6 for Covington, 1.3 for Ish, 1.2 for McConnell. I'd say probably around McConnell, like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, around there. 
Yeah, I'll say I'll say right around one. Like that that he's just not yeah. really uh that doesn't really seem to be his game as much, like jumping the jumping the lanes. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's the main ones. I mean, turnovers you can't really get into because, you know, again, it was a really bad team. So I think, I mean, look at it this way, right? Do you think he could have, in a full season, with a team like that, you think he could have shot like 33.5 from three, um, 40% from the floor, like around 15 points, like seven assists, you know, four and a half to five rebounds? It's safe to put him in that range, you think? Yeah, he basically would have been MCW, right? Like rookie year MCW. Those, those, those were Ishmith's numbers that mm. season. So, yeah, I think he'd be that. I think he'd be in that range. I think he would be pretty close. If you just if you took Ishmith off that team and replaced him with a full season of this Markel Fultz, I think you probably get pretty close to those numbers. Because again, with a better team around him, I think all those numbers probably go up. But that team was so terrible. Um, so the scoring average is probably higher than it would be because he's, you know, a, a one option. But uh, the assist number is down because no one's finishing baskets. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it was it was an ugly time that I'm very glad we're not in anymore. Uh, also, Ish shot 66.9% from free throw. Like, again, I think he might have had a very Ishmith season that year. That, that feels right to me. By the way, I was just looking at it. I was uh, looking at the roster for the 2015-16 team. How mm-hmm. old do you think Jalil Okafor is right now? Is he 23? He's 22. I was going to say 22, but I'm like, that seems low. He feels really young. Yeah, he, it does. Um, my favorite one when saying stuff like that is the fact that like, somehow Evan Fournier is 25. Is he really? So he's been in the, year, the league for 10 years. He's 25 years old. <laughs> that always blows my mind. He seems like he gets younger every year somehow. I feel like Jalil Okafor has like, lived a lifetime in the NBA. <laughs> In three yeah, or four he's he's grizzled. That's actually true. Is gr- grizzled isn't a word. That's not a word. Um. Anyway, I think that's all we have for today, right? We got a lot, we got a lot in there. I, I think so. Yeah. Hopefully, next time we come back and talk to you guys, we'll be talking about at least one victory. Uh, it'll be at some point next week. There'll be a couple more games under our belts. Um. But yeah, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for listening to this Babble, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya.